For now, let me introduce this next installment in the series we've been in for some time, Matters of the Mind. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about an oft thought of, uh, written about, and spoken of topic, and it's the topic of love. Um, it's uh, frequently on our minds and in our speech. Um, even great songs have been written about it. You know, love is a many splendored thing. Some of you remember that one. Uh, love makes the world go round. All you need is love. And so we use the term all the time, but I wonder what it really means. It's not so easy to get a grasp on the concept of love. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day, and this came to me. Um, I think one of the essential facets of love is communication. So love could be defined as communication uh, between lovers. For instance, could you feel loved without communication? If your partner, for instance, withheld his or her thoughts from you, your partner was non-communicative, would you feel loved in that relationship? Uh, does the silent treatment, we have all experienced that, sadly, from time to time, does the silent treatment, does that really make you feel warm inside when you're on the receiving end? Do you feel loved uh, when you experience the silent treatment? Uh, so communication, don't you see, perhaps is at the heart of love. Interestingly, there's a wonderful three-word phrase in the Bible, very fascinating, good to feast on. It says, God is love. And so in keeping with my somewhat elementary definition of love, love equated to be communication between loved ones, uh, then if, in fact, God is love, then is it not true that God is the one who communicates? He's the principal communicator of himself. Can you imagine, for instance, what your life experience would be like if God did not communicate himself to you? You would be left, at best, with nothing but guesswork about the essential matters of life. When it came to the character of God, you and I would be left with nothing but opinions and speculation if God did not reveal himself. Good news. Though we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us, this is the very thing he did. God himself revealed, disclosed himself. And you know why he did? It's because God is love. No silent treatment from him. Now, this being the case, one could ask the question, how, in fact, did Almighty God disclose himself to us? And for this, I want to call your attention to a marvelous passage of Scripture, which will tell us very specifically how God communicated himself to those who are willing to receive it. It's in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and I'd like for us to begin by taking a quick look at the opening verses. We won't belabor the point. Uh, many of you are familiar with this, but uh, it bears repeating. 
Psalm 19. This is one of the ways in which God has very clearly disclosed himself to us. Look what it says, beginning in verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. You usually don't think about the material world as speaking. Uh, this is a metaphor. Uh, the heavens so filled with the glory and grandeur of God are such a striking evidence of his handiwork, uh, they might as well be speaking about his glory. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day, Day, when you think about the rotation of the natural order, day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. This isn't a sermon. No, the natural order communicates truth about the creator even without words. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he, God, has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." So we find out one of the ways in which God has in fact communicated, revealed, disclosed himself to us. It is through the physical universe of which we have the privilege of being in. It's all around us if anyone is willing to see and hear. He, almighty God, in what he has created, he's revealed his glory, has he not? He's revealed his grandeur. He's revealed his power. You know, he labored over none of it. You know, he said, let there be. And it was. He revealed his artistry, did he not? When he created all that he created, you know, he stood back from it and declared it all. Just as an artist who might be pleased with his or her work, he declared it all to be very good. The artistry of God. We learned something else about God, and that is he's not just the God of the bare necessities. I remember reading a long time ago this mysterious verse in Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 9, wherein we're told that God gave every fruit-bearing tree and also every tree that is pleasing to the sight. I can understand why a good God who provides would supply us with every fruit bearing tree for our sustenance. But no, no, he's not just the God of the bare necessities and what he has created. He's given us icing on the cake, bonuses, because he gave us not only trees that produce fruit, but things that are pleasing to the sight. God is an artist. He has an aesthetic uh, a sensitivity. He wants us truly to have an abundant life. He created colors. It's a multicolored physical universe he has made. It could take your breath away. It's only a hint at how great he is. So we find out all manner of things. We find out that God has at his disposal all kinds of resources. He has a creative he has the capacity to call into existence that which had no prior existence. And he has the capacity to put it all together. Oh, not through evolution or mere chance. Give me a break. 
No, through his masterful creative activity, things that we enjoy to see, to visit, to breathe in, to take in with our eyes. And don't you see, the heavens truly are telling of the glory of God. Oh, I wish we would listen. I wish more people would listen. I wish more people would see the God behind it all. And so in a general sense, that is to say, this disclosure of God through what he has made is made available generally to no particular people group. You do not have to be a redeemed, born-again believer in order to see the greatness and glory and grandeur of God behind what he has made. That's called general revelation. It's available generally to the world's population, to any who will see, look, and consider how great this God is. You see, he has disclosed himself. So this is one way in which God has lovingly communicated. He has said, look what I've done. Look what I've made. What do you conclude about me in it? In what he has made, he has revealed himself. I remember reading in Genesis about how in the beginning of things, the earth, it said, was formless and void. Formless and void. In the Hebrew, this is what the expression sounds like. Tohu wavohu. And it doesn't sound good. It's formless and void. And what did God do? He formed it and filled it. So it is no longer formless and void. It is formed and filled. Why did he do it? Who did he do it for? He did it for the crown of his creation. That's us. All of us. Created in the very image of God. Distinct from any other created thing. And so he provided in the physical world, the material world, the cosmos a habitable space for us. Please don't take for granted the very next breath you are about to take. We're breathing in air. He provided it all, don't you see? There wasn't all of this in the beginning. God spoke it into existence. He formed and filled the world so that you and I could be sustained. And I have to tell you, you don't have to go any further if you're wondering about what God thinks of you. (gasps) He loves you. He loves me. And so he provided a place wherein we could live and survive and be sustained. Don't take for granted air and rain and all of these. These were not always there. They didn't exist from eternity. God called them into existence because he was preparing first a place for us. Don't you see? So I have found out a lot about the love of God. I dare not think He's that distant and uncaring. He said, look what I have revealed to you about my concern for you in what I have made. You live in this world. This is my father's world, don't you think? And he made it so that we would know things of him. So God has revealed himself generally through the natural order, but he's done more because he's more loving than that. He has revealed himself also specifically or specially. This he has done not so much through what he has made, but through what he has said. In other words, the Bible. Would you uh, continue looking at the text in verse 7? The law of the Lord. That is a synonym for the Bible. The law 
of the Lord, the word of God, the law of the Lord. You know what it's like? It's perfect. It has to be because he's perfect and he authored it. And what does it do? It can restore the soul. The testimony, that's another synonym for the word of God. So we have two, law, testimony, same thing, really slightly different facets of the same thing. But we're talking about uh, enscripturated truth. We're talking about what's contained in the Bible. The testimony of the Lord is sure it makes wise the simple. The precepts, oh look, here's a third synonym for the word of God. It's law, it's testimony, it's precepts. Of the Lord. They're right. And you know what they do? They just rejoice the heart. The commandment. Look, here's a fourth synonym for the word of God. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's undefiled. You know, it's wholly true. And in fact, it enlightens the eyes. Here's the point. God has not withheld himself from us. He could have. He could have given us the grand, ultimate, silent treatment And I have to tell you, try that on for size every once in a while just to enhance your appreciation of the fact that he didn't give us the silence treatment. Oh, my goodness. We hear of him. We hear from him. Everyone could who chooses to lend a listening ear through what he has created, general revelation, through what he has said, special Revelation. So God has revealed himself to us in two principal ways. We can call it the skies and the scriptures. You see both the natural order and this marvelous spiritual entity, this embodiment of truth, which is found in 66 and scripturated books of the Bible stemming from creation in Genesis to the last things in the book of Revelation. This is a God who is saying, I do not want to be distant, hiding in the shadows, hard to find, unreachable. No, I love. I'm a God who is love, and therefore I'm bent on self-disclosure. One of the grandest, most liberating truths of all time is God himself disclosing himself to anyone who will receive his disclosure. God is love. Love essentially is communication. Therefore, God has communicated himself to us. So I ask you this question. If all this is true, is it not reasonable then for God to expect a specific and precise, a correct response from us? He has spoken. He's spoken in skies and scriptures. Don't you think he's justified in expecting a response? Dare we give him the silent treatment? Dare we turn a deaf ear to him? Do we have nothing to say to the God who has said so much to us about what he's like? Well, there is one of us, that is to say, a finite, creaturely created being who did render, I think, the proper response to the self-disclosure of God. And his name was David, the writer of this particular psalm. And we could see what his premier commendable response to God is. It's in verse 14 of this great psalm. David said, let, it's a prayer, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
Remember once I was mentioning to you that oftentimes in Old and New Testament, when you see the word heart, it's really, um, it really means what? Your mind, mind, mind. So, see, because the heart doesn't meditate, does it? The heart palpitates. But this text is saying, David is saying, I, I, I want my words, but also the meditations of my heart. You know what he's saying? <clears throat> I want the words which emanate from my mouth and the thoughts which reside in my mind. I want those things to be acceptable in your sight. And by the way, you are, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If, if I could paraphrase what David's heart is essentially expressing, it's this. It's David saying, oh God, if you love me enough to communicate yourself, yourself, your transcendent, immense, boundless, enormous self, if your love is so great that you do not withhold yourself from me in what you have done and in what you have said, then, oh God, I want to love you back through what I say and think. You see it? The self-disclosure of God demands a response from any thinking person. Now look, David speaks about his interest in providing God with a kind of an offering, almost like a sacrificial offering, almost like an unblemished lamb. He's wanting to offer to God a pure and undefiled words, but also pure and undefiled thoughts. You see, words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. Let me suggest something. You and I spend more time thinking about the uh, words we utter than about the thoughts we entertain. And I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's because we're unduly concerned about we, what we think about one another. You see, so we can hear what each other says, but we don't know what each other thinks. So generally we say the things that will get us the right response from those we're saying it to. I'm not entirely saying that's a terrible thing. I'm just saying it's an out of balance thing. You, you see, because God knows our thoughts, does he not? So if we're really concerned about loving the lover of our souls more, then we need to offer to him not just the public persona, which is careful about what it says, but the private persona, which is careful about what it thinks. And of course, this has been the whole emphasis of our uh, series. It's a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the mind. You and I run into people all the time who seem to be living inconsistent lives, and it may be some of us, in fact. I suppose we're all prone to it. Uh, to be inconsistent in our public uh, expression of faith and our private expression of faith. But God looks on the heart. David discerned this. He realized that the God who disclosed himself to David wanted to see from David not just words that were pleasing and acceptable, but also thoughts that are. So he wants to offer both to God. So he says, let the words of my mouth, yeah, and also the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Why in your sight? Why, why, are, we, why are we not justified in centering on one another rather than God? 
It's because David concludes it's God who is his rock and redeemer. Don't you see it? We can really help each other down the road. We're supposed to build each other up, edify one another. But no one here can be a rock or redeemer for another. There's only one transcendent deity is the rock. Don't you see a rock speaks of strength and safety and stability? Run to the rock. Jesus is the rock. And he's also the redeemer. Redemption, don't you see, speaks of rescue. David realized both were encapsulated in transcendent deity who he came to know in a personal way. Hence, he uses the wonderful personal pronoun, my rock, my redeemer. That's the essence of personal relationship. He said, if you and you alone serve these purposes for me, if I derive these benefits from you, stability and strength and safety and rescue and ransom, then, oh God, my offering, my premier offering, my energy has to be invested in providing you with an unblemished sacrifice, which is not only the fruit of my lips, but also the fruit of my thoughts, my thinking, don't you see? Especially since an omniscient, all-knowing God knows what we are thinking. So David wants the outside stuff of his life, his words, as well as the inside stuff of his life, his thoughts to be acceptable to God, his rock and his redeemer. So I ask you this question now. What does it mean to offer to God thoughts that are acceptable to him? What does it mean to think thoughts that are acceptable in God's sight? Let me offer you this. I think it simply means to think those thoughts uh, which are consistent with what God has revealed through what he has made and through what he has said. Let me repeat it because I'm not sure I get it myself. I'm working on this. Because <laughs> you don't want to just read the scripture, do you? In order to apply it, you have to sort of think through it. What is, what is an acceptable thought offering to God? I think it's this. It's to think those thoughts which are consistent with what God has already revealed to me, to you, through what he has made and through what he has said. So it cannot be acceptable to God for me to harbor patterns of thinking that are inconsistent with what he has already disclosed. So, for instance, the earth was formless and void. Let me take you back to that. And God formed it and filled it for you and for me so that we could be sustained. So if I harbor this thought, I'm worthless, valueless, unloved, I'm junk. Don't you see that line of thinking? You can do it if you want, but I must tell you, it cannot be acceptable to God because it's inconsistent with what God has disclosed through what he has created. Don't you see it? Let's go past that. Let's go past general revelation to very precise, unquestionable, um, clear, special revelation, uh, the word of God. If you're thinking uh, that you're uh, soon to be rejected uh, by those closest to you, you're worthy of it, and eventually God will give up on you too. It's just a matter of time. No, no, no. no. See, that thought cannot be acceptable to him, don't you see? Because that's a thought inconsistent with what he's disclosed when he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So can you see what I'm... So you know what this means, folks? You and I have a responsibility. It's not just to speak right, act right. It's, it's fundamentally to think right. 
We could do it because we have the mind of Christ now, the capacity to think the thoughts that God wants us to think. They're derived from the material world which reflects him, but precisely uh, from the scriptures which really reflects him, don't you see, without error. So here's the point. You and I have to discipline ourselves. I mentioned this a long time ago, and I said we're lazy thinkers. Again, I don't mean any harm, but, you know, let's just call it what it is. We're lazy. So, so we're much more emotional than we are thinkers, and the reason is uh, it's easier to feel than to think. So we're just a bunch of feeling people. Well, I feel, I feel, I, you know, you can feel something very strongly and it still be wrong. Yeah. So thinking takes a lot more work than emoting. And that's why we feel much more than we think. And I'm just suggesting, don't stop feeling, but bring a little more balance into your life. And so here's what I want to suggest. It's the discipline of allowing no unevaluated thought to reside in your mind. That's work. The discipline of not allowing any unevaluated thought to reside in your mind. It's the discipline of thinking about what you're thinking about. And when you realize what you're thinking about, then you have to evaluate it. Is it consistent with what God has already disclosed to me in the natural world and in Scripture? And if it isn't, you have to reject it and you have to replace it with truth that is consistent with God's disclosure of himself to you. You see? Now that's work. So what? So is physical exercise. And we do that, most of us, many of us, some of us. And that's good, but not as good as this discipline. You know what the Bible says? It says for physical discipline, bodily discipline, is of little profit. But godliness, this kind of discipline, says it's profitable for all things because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Make an investment. Go beyond push-ups <laughs> and jogging. That's good stuff. Really good stuff. Help yourself. But exercise your mind in the direction of godliness. Let no unevaluated thought move in, reside there. Take up its residence in your mind. Ask yourself, oh God, is this thought, which is really weighing me down, is it consistent with what you have disclosed generally through what you have made and specifically through what you have said? That's hard work for you, for me. I'm uh, encouraged to see it was hard work for David. Hence, he simply made this prayer. Oh, God, give me help. Let, it's a prayer, it's a request. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My rock, my redeemer. Ask for help. Ask for help. Oh, God, I want to render an offering of words and thoughts Pleasing and acceptable to you. Would you help me? Would you help me? You see the word meditation in the text? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I did a little bit of a word study on it. Oh, it's fascinating. It's a musical term. The word here, meditation. And it's the image of a musician plucking on the strings of a harp. So I ask you this question. 
who is controlling the music of your heart? Who is controlling the music of your mind? Who or what is plucking on the strings of your thought life? You only have a few options. One is Satan. We let him, you know, oftentimes play the song. It's always a song of lies, condemnation, accusation, misrepresentation. Don't do that. Don't let him uh, compose the music of your mind. Sometimes it's not Satan. Sometimes it's us. Patterns of thinking we ourselves are embracing. There might have been a basis for it in our upbringing way back here, but there's no basis for it now in the born again experience. We've been adopted into a new family. We have a new daddy. He's Abba, Father. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Things are different. Sometimes it's our own stinking thinking that's playing the song uh, that's really a nightmarish cacophony of pain. Don't do it. But if it's not Satan, if it's not, you know, sometimes it's others. You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Never were more untrue words ever spoken. They hurt. Words hurt. We have said hurtful things to one another. We have heard hurtful things from one another. That's just the way it is. And then sometimes we internalize those hurtful things as if it's true. So what we do is, um, I think what we do is commit the sin of idolatry because we build a monument to what someone else has said to us about us. And we bow down before it. But that's just a person. That person could have had a bad day. That person could have misinterpreted you. That person is no better than you. That person is just a person. Worthy of respect, for sure. But not worthy of worship. So, 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 so who's plucking the strings? <laughs> who's playing the music of your mind? It's either Satan itself or it's others. Could I suggest an alternative? Why not let Almighty God be the one who controls the music of your mind? Is he not your rock and your redeemer? He loves you. Therefore, he has disclosed himself to you. Can you see what he has said through what he has made? Can you see what he has said through what he has specifically said? Let those things, the things that a loving God has disclosed... Let those things control the music of your mind. Are you willing to do it? You don't have to answer to me. If you are, let's commit this verse of scripture as we close to memory. Take it with you, both as your uh, decision to make an offering to God and as your petition to ask him for help in so doing. So without looking at the text, let's see if we can get it. I know it's Psalm 19, verse 14. And here's how it goes. Let the words of my mouth. So will you say that with me? Let the words of my mouth. So we already have a lot of it done. 
Let's do it one more time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Just say that. And the meditation of my heart. So this makes sense now. Words come from the mouth and meditations, thoughts come from the heart, which is really the mind. Okay. So I'll, I'll say, so let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Let's do both. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight. Be acceptable in your sight. Oh, I wish I exerted uh, more energy in thinking about the thoughts that would be pleasing to God than in thinking about the words that would be pleasing to others. You know? It's a malady we have. You know what I mean? It's the way it is. Let's say the whole thing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight who oh lord my rock oh wait just a second i just realized not everyone in clear conscience could say that my rock see everyone here can be subject to the revelation of god as i mentioned through what he has created But that my God concept, you have to choose to establish. You you, you can't do it alone. (laughs) You can't. But this God who loves you so much that he demonstrated it by communicating to you what he's like, also communicated his love in sending who he loved most. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. His name is Jesus. He's the link between you and Almighty God. He, he, he's the only one who could be, by the way. See, he, because, because he's connected on the God side and he's connected on the human side. Nobody could do that. Only him. So, so, Later, maybe we'll, you'll stick around, we'll have a chance. Pastor will give us an opportunity, we'll go to a private room, you'll meet with wonderful people. Maybe they can help you to know what it is. What does it mean to know God as your rock, as your redeemer? So you can say, my rock, my redeemer. Okay, so I, I, I don't want to offend you, but some of you are left out from this verse until you establish that connection with Almighty God through His. You can tonight, by the way, that's the good news. Okay, for, for the rest, who have that my God concept. Uh, let's go through this again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Oh, excuse me. Be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I've been feasting on that, really, really working on it. It really helps. I think thinking about Psalm 19, verse 14, is acceptable to God. You know, I know that. He gave it to us. So, Lord Jesus, we want to pray that verse into our lives. We want what others hear, and of course you hear. But we especially want what only you know, our thoughts, to be acceptable. Absolutely consistent with truth as disclosed by you, the God of all truth. Thank you for taking the initiative. Thank you, O God, for demonstrating 
and declaring your loving nature to us in disclosing yourself to us. Thank you that we don't have just a final book of the Bible called Revelation. Oh, no. All 66 books are the book of the revelation of the otherwise unknown, hidden, unapproachably holy God. But God came near. We praise you, Emmanuel. Thank you for coming near through Christ Jesus. So now we can know you as my rock and my redeemer. It's our desire, sure, to do that which is pleasing to you in what we say, but also in what we think. Help us, oh God. Would you do that deeper inner work so that what we think would be an acceptable offering to you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.